The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Timothy chapter 4, verse number 16. And this evening I want to read the 16th verse, which will be our text verse. Uh, one of many, actually, that we're going to use tonight. And this will help us to get into the uh, discussion of doctrinal discernment. 1 Timothy 4, verse number 16. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Well, that is an important verse of Scripture, like all Scriptures that are in the Bible. And with this, we do need to be discernment, uh, discerning, rather, as we need to be with all Scriptures. This is Paul's advice to Timothy, and I think that we can see that it's more than just advice to him. This is a command of the Apostle. He says, Take heed unto thyself. Now, just in that statement there, there's doctrine in that statement. The doctrine that we find there is the doctrine of sanctification. That Timothy was told to guard himself in order that he might be a good example for those that are in the body of Christ. And what Paul said to him, he also says to us, he spoke to this young pastor Timothy with good advice because pastors must be very careful to maintain good works as an example to the flock. And as individual Christians and as members of the church, you have no less responsibility to be a good example, to live a holy life. You're no different from the pastor in that area. And this is a good verse for all of us to take heed unto ourselves. Then he goes on and, and he mentions the doctrine. Timothy, you must pay attention to the doctrine. Continue in what you've learned. And then this part is somewhat confusing. He says, if you do this, you will save yourself and those that hear you. Now, there, in that statement, there seems to be a doctrinal conflict. It's somewhat ironic that he says, pay attention to doctrine. And he says something that's often misinterpreted and appears to be a conflict in doctrine. And I suppose that's the wisdom of the Holy Spirit in giving us a verse where he says that you need to pay close attention to doctrine that you just might get the wrong interpretation in the verse that he says that. So he's telling us to be very careful about this. So what does he mean when he says, you will save yourself and those that hear you? Well, this is the twist. He's not talking about salvation. This is not a salvation verse. Uh, this is a verse for people to understand that we need to be very careful about our doctrine and what he's saying to Timothy I mean, he's a man that's been saved for years, so this is not about his salvation. The people that he ministered to, probably at the church of Ephesus, they had been saved for years. So he's not talking about their soul salvation, but he's telling them that you will save yourself and those that hear you. This good doctrine will save you from falling prey to false prophets, to bad doctrine that will ruin your ability to win people to the Lord. Now, in the first part of the chapter, in verse number 1, he wrote, now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And from that point, he goes on to explain some of the false teachings that were floating around. 
And he ends with this conclusion in verse 16, for Timothy to be on guard to protect himself and the church. That he was to be a godly man sticking to the doctrines of the faith. Or as the Apostle Jude would have said, earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Now in our last lesson, we talked about doctrines that affect salvation. There are doctrines that when you go off, you're too far off, and they have an effect upon your, your soul. They're, they're radically different from the truth, and if you believe them, your soul is in danger. In fact, if you hold on to these untrue doctrines, your soul is already condemned because you can't go to heaven unless you are firm in the, in the core essential doctrines of the faith. So we discuss doctrines like Christology, what is your doctrine of Christ, soteriology, what do you believe about salvation. We talked about the Trinity, what do you think about or believe about the nature and the being of God. And then we talked about Bibliology. What do you think about the authority? What do you believe about the authority of God's Word? So those are just basic fundamentals. There can't be any compromise in those. You must believe the truth of these doctrines because without those things you can't be saved. Now, hear me closely here in just a moment. I'll explain that a little bit. You don't have to be a theologian to be saved. You don't have to give a doctrinal dissertation on each of those doctrines and know all the nuances of them, but you must believe them because those things are revealed to a true believer in Christ. He will not deny these doctrines. So if you end up, once these have been explained to you, you end up in denial of these, that shows the Holy Spirit has never come and come into your heart. He's never actually been regenerated. So these are core essential doctrines that makes them components of saving faith. Now this evening I'd like to talk about other doctrines and these are not doctrines that we usually consider to be salvation issues, although sometimes they actually are elevated to the point that people make them salvation doctrines. They get them to interfere with justification by faith alone, and then that does be, these do actually become salvation issues if you twist them that far. But I don't want to talk so much about how people twist them to a salvation problem. But I want to show you how that we can disagree on these doctrines, and we need to think that the other person is a reprobate. These are important, though, because they do affect our ability to serve the Lord. Now, we'll notice this, that doctrine, no matter what the doctrine is, is always a New Testament concern. The Scriptures want us to get all of our doctrine right. Now, in Acts chapter 2, there were thousands of people that were saved on the day of Pentecost, and they were added to the church and they were added to a church that had not yet fully received all of its doctrine. The doctrine of the church wasn't completely developed. At that time, the Apostle Paul had not given what he wrote in the epistles uh, to the church, so they didn't have that doctrine to go to. And so um, there are only two verses of Scripture, actually, when you get up to Acts chapter 2, and all of these people are saved and added to the church, only two Scriptures that even mention the church up to that point. So what Jesus knew was that the apostles would be given more. The Holy Spirit would speak to them and give them more of the doctrines of the faith. And the method of understanding what was given we find here in Acts 2, verses 41 and 42, where it says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Now that 
phrase right there. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's very, very important for what we're going to talk about tonight. So the key here is that they stayed with the apostles. They kept learning from them. Now, as the Lord revealed more to uh, the apostles of the church, the church recognized that the apostles were the authority, and the church stayed in their doctrine. They learned them until... The New Testament was complete, and then there was no more doctrine to be given. Now, you remember, uh, we studied the last um, few weeks about what John said in 1 John chapter 4, where he claimed authority for the apostles. He said, We are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us, he that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We are of God. Now, he means they're the apostles, the ones who saw Christ, the ones who heard him, the ones who touched him, the ones who believed that he was actually God in the flesh. They were of God because they were with him. They believed that, and their authority came from him. And so our authority is what the apostles said because they had been with Christ. And we accept what they say as truth, and nothing else other than what they wrote is the truth. They wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so we take our, our stand right there that our doctrine must be the same as what the apostles taught. We don't have any other source of authority. We have none but them. And that is a stand that separates us from many others. That defines who we are. Opinions don't carry any weight with us. Only the Word of God is where we go. And it came from those who had received it by the inspiration of the Spirit and they gave us the authoritative canon of Scripture. Well, this means that we have two concerns about doctrine. First are salvation-intensive doctrines, that uh, they're major, they can't be compromised. Secondly, there are less intensive doctrines. They're important, but they don't rise to the level of salvation. But the church doesn't have any authority to change either type of doctrine. We're supposed to get all of this right. We are to stick what has been, to what has been written in God's Word. Now, the first thing and that we would throw out is anything that claims to be a new revelation. Uh, we studied bibliology, and our brand of bibliology makes us unwilling to accept anything that claims to be truth other than what's in the 66 books of the New Testament, Old Testament, in that canon. We exclude any possibility that God has something new to say or that God has spoken to us in any other way. Now, tonight, we're, we're concerned about doctrines that are in the 66 books. I'm not talking about things that people have added, but what is in these 66 books, and these doctrines many times are distorted. Now, our particular concern is doctrines in the New Testament that are associated with church constitution and with church practice. So our cue has to be taken from the Scriptures, and our practice is developed out of what is written in the Scriptures. Now, usually what we can't do is to build a doctrine from one Scripture. It's very dangerous for us to look at just one Scripture and to try to build, build a doctrine on that Scripture as if that is the definitive word. Rarely is there one Scripture that gives you all the facets and, and parts of a doctrine that you really need. But there are some preachers that want to prove their point by just pulling out a Scripture and then using that and taking it out of its context. It helps to support the, the doctrine that they're trying to teach. 
Rick Warren was famous for doing that, notorious maybe is the word that I should use. Uh, in the purpose-driven church and in the purpose-driven life, he not only took verses out of context, but he used dozens of tr- a dozen translations or more uh, in order to find uh, the wording that fitted the proposition that he wanted to present. So people read his books and they say, oh, what a man of God. I mean, he has, he has supported everything that he says with Scripture. He knows how to use the Bible. No, what he proved was that he is a master manipulator of the Scriptures. And what he did is nothing different than the Mormons would do when they look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 29, and they build out of that a doctrine of baptism for the dead, as if there aren't any other verses in the Bible that speak about baptism. So the Mormons will take a a verse like that, they misuse it, they build a doctrine on it, and so now they're busy 24-7, 365, performing proxy baptisms, hopefully, and their intent is for every person that's ever lived. And that's their method of salvation. They're going to get everybody saved, and so they're going to baptize them even though they're dead. And people find out about things like that, and they get upset about it because the Mormons pulled some name of uh, one of your friends or relatives out of an obituary, and they ran somebody through the baptistry for them so they could be saved. Well, Mormons do things like that. Manipulation and misuse of Scripture fuels the heresy of Mormons. That's bad practice. But it's no worse than a Baptist preacher who does the very same thing, that he pulls verses out of Scripture, he manipulates the Scripture, uses Scripture wrongly in order to prove a point. Another example of bad interpretation is what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13.1. He said, "...though we speak with the tongues of men and angels." And out of the twisting of that scripture, the charismatics have built a doctrine that says that you get baptized in the Holy Spirit and you will be able to speak with angelic in an angelic language. Those are the kinds of things that we have to be careful about. We have to practice doctrinal discernment that's needed so that we don't fall into the trap of false teachers who can make the Bible support any doctrine that they want by twisting the scriptures. So we can't take one scripture. We we take all of the scriptures, we put it all together, we carefully study it, and then we see how all of that fits into the whole body of truth. No scripture is ever going to contradict another. The only way that you come out with a conflict in scripture is by bad interpretation. But as I said, uh, not all of these are salvation issues. There are some things that are preached that are contradictory, and people may not see the need to resolve the conflicts, and those doctrines may not reach the level of heresy, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be very, very careful about making sure that all of our doctrine is correct. I've never taken time to sit down and to list all of the doctrines that are in the Bible. If you buy a a good, comprehensive, systematic theology, read it from cover to cover, perhaps you'll discover all, maybe all, of the doctrines that are in the Word of God. And in a very good systematic theology, you'll find that there are many doctrines that have just dozens of variations, and tracing all of those variations down is a little bit too much for us to handle. Now, if you read John Gill's uh, The Body of Doctrinal and Practical Divinity, or you pick up R.L. Dabney's Systematic Theology, or the one by Charles Hodge, there are just hundreds of pages that deal with all these variations of doctrine. We can't look at all of those. Uh, We can't, 
you know, sit down and just go through all these different doctrines and figure all of that out. Not in a, not in a, a time that we have. So what I've decided to do is to take just a small sampling of the doctrines. And these are the ones that define us as Baptist. Now, there are some doctrines that are, that are, that churches, all churches hold, most churches hold similarly. But then there are some and variations of those doctrines that Baptists hold particularly. And those separate us from denominational churches. It makes us different from Presbyterians and Methodists and Assemblies of God and so on. For Berean to be a true church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must believe the fundamental core doctrines of the faith, and that would be the doctrines that actually make us Christians. But then we have to look at another level. We have to look at, at doctrines that go beyond that and doctrines that separate us from denominational churches. Now, some people don't care about that at all. They, they see the sign out front and it says, Baptist, and they look at that and they say, oh, that's just another flavor of Christianity. It doesn't really matter what you are. You just have to be a flavor that tastes good. And so they say churches are generic. I mean, it's just like generic medicine. You have the original, you have the brand name medicine, and then you have the generic knockoffs to that medicine. And they think that's the way that the church is. You have the original church, that's the brand name, that's the one that Jesus started then everything after that is generic. It's the knockoff of that, of that church. Even some Baptists think that way. They think that we are a generic Christian church. We, we're, we're just like everybody else. But that's not what we believe here at Berean. What we believe is that we are the brand name. Now, that's not an arrogant statement. That is a statement built upon Jesus' promise that he would build his church. Not that he was going to build 40 denominational churches. He built one church, and that church received a promise that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. It will be here until he comes for it. That church will still be in existence. It will be identifiable. And if it wasn't Baptist, then I'd be looking for the church that fits that. I'd be looking for the one that is the same, that Jesus started. I can't believe that Jesus intended that there would be all this confusion about doctrine and everybody would believe many, many different things. That can't possibly be what Jesus meant when he said, I'm going to preserve my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I think he meant that he was going to preserve the doctrines that he gave to the apostles that those would still be taught in our day and time, and the church would be identifiable still following the doctrines that Christ gave. Now, that would include those core fundamental doctrines that makes a Christian a Christian, but it also contains or is about other doctrines that make a church a true church. Well, this is where our study is going to take us. Uh, on our church uh, website, <clears throat> we used to have the Baptist acrostic, I looked for that the other day. Maybe it's there somewhere. I, I couldn't find it. But uh, we used to have it on there. Uh, and that acrostic has been around for years. And so we're going to take a look at that, and, and we're going to see how that identifies the Baptist church. Why are we Baptist? Well, we start with the letter B. And we're not going to get to all of these tonight. It's going to take several weeks to get through them. But I promise you, when we get done, it will spell Baptist. We're going, to, we're going to start with the very beginning here. So what is the first letter, B? And the B stands for biblical authority. Now, my first comment about what I'm going to say here tonight and 
in the next few weeks will be offensive to some. Probably not to anybody in here. I look, I look over you now, and you know, when I'm preparing a sermon, I prepared that there might be some visitors here too. So I say things like this. Well, it might be offensive to some people, but you probably are not going to be offended by it, and, that, and I, hope that, I hope you're not. That would be good. Now, in our opinion, well, let me start. Let, let's say people don't really care that we're Baptist. I mean, that, we're Baptist. They, that, that's okay. They don't care about that. But what they care about is when we say that we should be exclusively Baptist. And when we say that all Christians should be Baptist. Now, that's offensive to some people, but it shouldn't be offensive at all. Because every church ought to think, every person in the church that he's a member of, ought to think, well, everybody ought to be like me. Everybody ought to be like the church that I attend. Everybody ought to believe the same things that I believe. That's why I'm here. I believe what the church teaches. So everybody ought to believe what I believe. But because we emphasize that and they don't say it, then we tend to be the bad guys for saying what should be an obvious conclusion. Now, they, 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 they confuse things like this. <clears throat> they think that we're saying Christians and all these other churches, people that say they're Christians and they, and they believe differently, <coughs> excuse me, differently than we do, uh, they think we're saying that they're, they're, because they're not Baptist, they're not saved. That, that's not what we're saying at all. We believe that many of them are saved. Not all of them are saved. Many of them are. Uh, we're just saying that all Christians should be the same in doctrine. <clears throat> and if they were right about their doctrine, they would be Baptist. No one complains that the Pope thinks that every Christian ought to be a Catholic. Did you ever hear about a Pope that's a non-Catholic? I never heard of that. You know, it used to be that when you wanted to state something that was certain, you would say, well, is the Pope Italian? And that's because for hundreds and hundreds of years, there wasn't anything but an Italian Pope. Well, you can't say that one anymore because the Pope may be Argentinian. He may be Polish. He might even be a Nazi. So you can't, uh, you can't say that any longer. But you would do that to express a certainty. Um, that, what Roman Catholics believe, is actually far more offensive than what we believe is Baptist, because they believe that salvation is in the church. And we've never said that. You don't have to be uh, a member of a Baptist church to be saved. We think you're going to be a better Christian if you are, but that's not going to make you a Christian, whereas the Roman Catholic Church will say, you need to be a, a Catholic because salvation is in the church. Now, they're a little bit confusing on their doctrine now because you have this progressive Pope, uh, Pope Francis, who now says that Muslims can be saved, that eventually they'll get to heaven too. But of course, I'm sure if you explored that a little more deeply, that you would find out that a Muslim has to go through centuries of intensive purgatory if he's ever going to get to heaven. But eventually he'll probably get there. Well, I, I, I don't feel bashful at all to teach that all Christians should be Baptist. We're a Baptist church because we believe that people ought to be Baptists. And if we didn't believe that, then we would drop the name. We would put community, community church, out on the sign. And we would disguise what we are, as many Baptists do. Now, when you joined Berean, you didn't join the latest flavor of Christianity. You joined the Lord's church, a church whose history goes back to the first church in Jerusalem. Now, many Baptist people have lost that truth. Uh, they don't believe that anymore. They're a flavor. 
They're a flavor that tastes just about like everybody else. And they don't have the doctrine of Christ and the apostles. But the history of Baptist churches like ours goes back 2,000 years. People like us have existed in every century since the time of the apostles when Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus started our church. Our authority for believing that there is a true church that is still holding on to the doctrines of Christ is that promise that Jesus gave. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And when Jesus started his church, there was one church. There was one form of doctrine. There was one interpretation of the key doctrines of the faith. There were certain interpretations of of, uh, other doctrines that allowed a group to be called a church of Christ. Jesus commissioned his apostles to go out and make disciples, to teach them what he taught them. And then those ones that they made disciples told other people what they learned. And that's the way the church perpetuates itself. It keeps hold of that same doctrine, the same thing that Jesus and the apostles taught. And that's critical for us to be a true church. Now, in the book of Acts, there were new churches that were started, and by the time that Acts was complete, there were true churches that were all over the known world. Paul and others kept up with those churches. They kept giving them new pieces of the doctrine of the church as Uh, Like Paul wrote the uh, different epistles, he gave them more doctrines of the faith. And those new churches that were started followed the model that we find in Acts chapter 2, that they steadfastly continued in the apostles' doctrines. They had one set of doctrines, they had one interpretation of those doctrines. And if they didn't stay in those doctrines, then trouble came. We have it explained for us, like, for instance, here in 1 Corinthians 1, verse number 10. Where Paul said, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Division is the bane of the church. We divide when we don't always speak the same thing. So what are we to do about that? Are we to embrace all of the different divisions and become a generic church? Is that what the Scripture tells us to do? Well, let's follow Paul again in Romans chapter 16, where he said, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which caused offenses, divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine that you have learned, and avoid them. So he's saying, take heed to yourselves. Continue in the doctrine. Have you caught on to that, that that's the practice that we have at Berean? That we avoid churches with doctrines that are contrary to what we see in the Word of God and what the apostles taught? Is there a biblical authority for that? Well, of course there is. We see it. This is what the Scripture says. We do what the authoritative Word tells us to do. So Paul did not say to them, if you have divisions in the church about doctrine, then go start another church that agrees with your doctrine. No, there's one church... And one doctrine. So he writes in Ephesians chapter 4, There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through you all and in you all. So this is pretty much what happened over the many, many years. There are dozens of denominations. There are divisions over doctrine because people started new churches that would agree with their doctrine. 
Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. What he meant was that Satan would not be able to eliminate the church that has the right doctrine. And so I tell you that I believe that all Christians should be Baptists because I rest on the authority of that biblical statement. And so what am I saying? Well, I'm saying that Baptist churches that believe like ours are the same as the church that Jesus started. I mean that historical Baptists are one and the same with the apostolic church. That's not an arrogant statement. That is a logical conclusion based upon what Jesus said. So logically, we believe what he says, and that should be the claim for everybody in their church. What Jesus said. So I'm telling you that the Baptist church has a history. It goes back to the first century. When Jesus was standing there at Caesarea Philippi, and he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And that means that we are going to contend with people who say, well, wait, 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 just a minute. Baptists got their start during the Protestant Reformation. Baptists are Protestants. Now, the only part that I like about that statement is the admission that Baptists historically have much in common with some of the doctrines of the Reformation churches. Not all of it, obviously, but where it comes to soteriology, Baptists agree with that. Not because we accepted their doctrine, but because they came around the, to the truth of our doctrine. We had it first before they had it. So we're not Protestants. And we're not going to admit, as uh, Protestants do, that the Roman Catholic Church was at any time in its history a true church of Jesus Christ. The Roman Church has always been apostate. Or as Richard Bennett would say, it is the original schismatic. Baptists existed long before the Reformation. Now, we were known by various different names, but we have always been the same in doctrine. Now, I can't make this a series about history. We've already done that. Do you want to go back to 2013-14? I did 25 sermons on Baptist history. If you want to look that up and listen to that, then you can find out what true Baptist history is. But I do want to take one quote from that series. John Clark Ridpath, who was a professor at, uh, of history at DePaul University, who wrote a, uh, a famous textbook for colleges that was used for many, many years, was a Methodist, and he could do no less than tell the truth about history because he was a historian, and he reluctantly said this. He said, I should not readily admit there was a Baptist church as far back as 100 A.D., though without doubt there were Baptists then, as all Christians were then Baptist. Ridpath is not the only one to admit that. Even Roman Catholic historians, if you study this, you'll find out that even Roman Catholic historians have said that the people that were always a thorn in their side throughout their whole history was the Baptist. And that's been since way before the Protestant Reformation. They knew that we existed. And we, they know that there were people with beliefs like Baptists that can date themselves all the way back to the time of Christ. Now, we weren't called Baptists then. You're not going to dig up a sign that says, First Baptist Church of Jerusalem, 100 A.D. There, there's, there's no sign like that. You don't need one like that. Because we've never been identified by the name. We've been identified by the doctrine. 
Do we still hold to the doctrines that are taught in the Word of God? And if you look at the historic creeds and confessions of Baptist people down through the centuries, you'll find that they are identical to the church statement of faith of Berean Baptist Church. Now, let me just take a minute here um, to quote from Boyce Taylor. Now, he, he's a man that lived in the early part of the 20th century. He was educated at Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville. He was a fourth-generation Baptist preacher. He made an interesting statement. He said, Every man who isn't a Baptist ought to be able to give reasons, good and sufficient, to satisfy the Lord Jesus at the judgment why he is not a Baptist. For if the church that Jesus built was a Baptist church, then no churches but Baptist churches are churches of Christ, and every man will face the Lord Jesus at the judgment and tell them why he joined some church founded by an uninspired man instead of the one founded the one founded by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's a logical statement. Now, let me repeat this and reemphasize. The true church is known by its doctrine. It's always been known by its doctrine. And so if you can find a church that matches the doctrines that come out of the authoritative word of God, then you found the church that Jesus built. So, can I stand here and conscientiously say that a church who disagrees with the doctrines that I believe come from the Word of God that are apostolic, given to us by Jesus and the apostles, can I say that that is a true church if they disagree with what I believe that the Bible says? Well, that wouldn't make any sense. Jesus gave us one church, one set of doctrines, and when he talked about unity among Christians, he I'll get to this in a later lesson, but he wasn't talking about some one big universal invisible church that doesn't agree on anything and doesn't have any ordinances or anything else. He's talking about his church that he built just like the one that was built there in the book of Acts where people were baptized and, and stayed steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That doctrine must still be here today. Now, you can call me crazy. You can call me bigoted. But don't forget, you've got to prove me wrong. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Now, the, doctor, the apostles did not have a smorgasbord of doctrine. And they said, well, you, you, here it is. You pick out the one that you want. You, you believe whichever you want about these. We're going to present you with various interpretations of baptism. And we're going to present you with various interpretations of the Lord's Supper. And we're going to give you various interpretations of what the church actually is. And you decide which one you want. And then when you decide, and we have all these divisions, then we'll be unified. Please, please, you know that he didn't do that. Well, here's the sum of the parts. The Bible is our authority. There's one book that we go to for appeal. We have no other authority. Therefore, if a doctrine is not in the Bible, it is not a Baptist doctrine. And if it's in the Bible, it is a Baptist doctrine. Can anybody else say that? Could a Roman Catholic say the same thing to you? He comes to you and he says, well, Pope Francis said, and you're already confronted with something that's not in the Bible because there's a no authority for a pope. And so where's the authority for what Pope Francis said? He might have said it, but that doesn't mean he has any authority to say it. You know, even the Eastern Orthodox Catholic Church knows better. They are unpoped Catholics. They don't believe in the authority of the Pope. I and mean, that schism has been around for a thousand years or more. 
So they're not going to admit the authority of the Pope. So this whole Catholic-Protestant dichotomy that exists presents a problem for us. And that is, there is no authority in the Scripture for Catholics or Protestants. There can't be. The Reformers came out of Catholicism, and yet they kept many of their practices. So how would they be able to make a serious claim to be churches of Christ? They held on to many Catholic traditions like infant baptism. John, um, John Gill said that is part and pillar of popery. That's what he called infant baptism. So it doesn't work this way. You can't bring a good church out of a non-church to make a real church. Now, Protestants wanted to clean up an unclean thing. Jesus said that won't work. He, 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 he cursed that tree, didn't he? That tree withered and died. John the Baptist would have said to the Reformers, you need to take an axe to that tree and cut it down at the roots. But they didn't do that. They held on to many of those things. They still have many of those heresies that are found in Roman Catholicism. They tried to reform something that cannot be reformed. That never was from God in the first place. Well, let me leave our, the history there. Uh, we have a church that is consistent with first century beliefs, with practices that are in the New Testament. That's the thing that counts. And that's the reason that I'm a Baptist and I'm not something else. Now, as a general principle, Baptists have always maintained that we will establish no doctrines that are not supported by the Scriptures. We will not invent doctrines, as Roman Catholics do, by claiming that the church has more authority than the Scriptures. Now, because they believe that the church has the authority to override the Scriptures, to put new things in, that's where you get sacraments, that's where you get mariolatry, priestly orders, and purgatory, and rituals, and vain traditions, and all of that. Baptists have said, we are never going to be ruled by traditions. We are ruled by the authoritative word of of God. Now, sometimes a tradition coincides with the Word of God. That's fine. But we're not going to add anything that's not in the Word of God and make that binding upon our people. But sometimes you wouldn't know that because there are Baptists that can become traditionalist. They'll take a 150-year-old tradition and make that binding, just like it's a Jerusalem AD 100 tradition. That happens a lot of times with music. I was talking about music just a moment ago. And so people will, will think... They think that a song that was written a hundred years ago must have been written by Paul. So we can't sing any songs but are a hundred years old. And so they won't accept any new hymns that we try to put in, any, anything that has great words in it, a great doctrine that's being told to us. won't accept that because Paul didn't write it. Some think that their method of preaching is biblical. That's because Billy Sunday turned backflips off of a stage somewhere back in the 1930s. So that's the way that you need to do it. You've got to be demonstrative with your preaching. And, you know, many of the churches, a lot of the fundamentals say, you know, it's not a good sermon unless you scream it. And the louder that you scream, the better that it gets. And some will say, you know, if you don't say amen after every sentence, then that's not, that, that's not biblical. And so they want churches that are quiet. I mean, not quiet. They don't want peace and quiet in the church. They want a lot of stuff going on. There's got to be an amen after every sentence. And then you've got to throw the Bible in the air. That makes it right. Some think that you sing 27 verses of just as I am when you're done. That's the way that Paul did it. So that's the way that we're going to do it. 
Never mind that you can't find an invitation anywhere, in any case, in any scripture, in the Bible. I'm not saying that it's wrong to use an invitation, but I'm saying they will say about us if we didn't use one. If, if today I said, we're never going to give another invitation again. Never again. We're going to read the scriptures. I'm going to preach the sermon. And then when I'm done, we're going to say a prayer. We're going to go home. They would say, that's unbiblical. You don't believe in saving souls. No, I believe the Holy Spirit saves souls. I mean, I, I can, I'm content with that. And, and I don't give an invitation after service because I'm afraid that somebody might not get saved if I don't. I don't have any control over that. I think it's good to exhort people. I think it's good to encourage people. But that's just a tradition that people have put in that has no biblical foundation. doesn't make it wrong, but it doesn't make it right either. You understand what I'm saying? So what I'm telling you is we can't build our church out of those kinds of doctrines. Some are good as long as they don't conflict with what the Word of God says. That's fine. We can do those things. But what we can't say is these things are binding upon the church. These are things that you can't be a church if you don't do that. That wouldn't be true. The only thing that binds a Baptist church is the Bible. Biblical authority. So that's where we're going to stay. We're going to stay with that. And we will be Bereans because we believe in biblical authority. Authority And folks, that is the thing that makes us an historical Baptist church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that you have shown us the truth of your church. We're thankful that we can stand here today, and not with pride, but with great thankfulness that we are a Baptist church. We do believe, Lord, that what you've given to Baptist people down through the ages has been the truth of your word. You want us to maintain that truth and keep it just as you said that you would preserve your church through the preaching of the right doctrines of the word. We can't go astray from that and still be a true church. So Lord, as we study over these next few weeks and look at this Baptist acrostic, I pray, Lord, you help us to, will help us to show why we believe that these are truths that are taught in the Bible. And as we do, we do challenge anyone to show us why these doctrines are not correct, should not be believed, and how anybody could stand before God at the judgment and explain to him how that they believe something that the Word of God doesn't say. That's just something we don't want to have to do. So, Lord, bless us. We thank you that we are your church. And, Lord, we thank you for the truth that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.